You must listen to this entire message before entering a selection. To accept this call, press 5. To refuse this call, hang up now. To block this call and all future calls, press 9. You may enter a selection now. I'm Andrea. And we're so excited to be back. Episode. Episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about COVID this episode because it seems relevant and it seems timely and important. Do you agree? Yeah. We, at first we were thinking that we weren't going to talk about it, but I think that um, it's gotten crazy enough and chaotic and a note like uncertain enough that it's good to talk about it for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like people don't fully grasp like what is happening all the time and like the implications that are going to be happening down the road with COVID. So it's like, why not talk about it while it's still fresh and we're thinking about it every single day. So yeah, that's perfect. Exactly. Anything new with Jake then? Because last episode, you told us that he tested positive. Yeah, he did. And he feels good. He felt good the whole time. Um, Not really any symptoms. Um, And he finished his 10-day quarantine. So he had to move from the negative side, or excuse me, the positive side of his unit over to the negative side, which is also where they house all of the recovered people that have been infected with COVID. So now him and Ben are back on the same side of the unit, but still not roommates. Nope. Yeah. What's new with Ben? And then Ben Ben has tested negative four times now. (laughs) And I know it's like, (laughs) Um, but with that, he got a roommate because he was in the cell by himself. And um, he was like, yeah, the dude's a nerd, dude. He doesn't snore, so that's a plus. <laughs> I was like, good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he started not feeling good, like, yesterday, though. But he, um, the other day, he had a really bad anxiety attack because of just being locked down for so long, and his chest started tightening up. He said his lips got numb, so he was a little bit nervous about if it could be something else and so he had the um co call over the nurse and the doctor and they came um all his vitals were good his ekg came back fine and they were just like you're having a panic attack and he was like yeah i know <laughs> like, <laughs> i told you that so yeah yesterday he started to feel like uh t- chest tightness even more um, body aches, chills. It's kind of frustrating because it's like you've already tested negative four times now. So you've gone o- over a month now for not contracting the virus. And all of a sudden you might have it. Like, how did that happen? You know, like what? I know he's been like cleaning the bathrooms and stuff at night, but a perk to that for him is that he can do his own laundry and then have like another 10 minutes to call me at like 11 or midnight so that's why he's been doing that so I don't know like we talked about if he was getting paid for that or not um so we'll see next time they do a round of testing let's hope we'll just see and we'll pray that he 
stays negative and is able to I know. fend it off, even though he's, you know, they're both just sitting ducks. They've done nothing to like bring this upon themselves. You know, there's no possible way that they can blame the incarcerated in the prison for bringing right. this in. There's no way. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, and we're going to, trust me, we're going to delve into that too. We'll talk yes. about We'll talk about some of the, the things that we believe the DOC could have done just a little bit better in regards to preventing COVID. So yes. maybe we should back it up to the beginning of when when COVID hit America, I guess, as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, I know for me, when it first hit, I wasn't even taking it very seriously, to be honest. Because I thought of it like no. Ebola, thought of it as Zika, where I was like, no, it's whatever. It'll come, it'll go, yeah. and we'll be done by, we'll be done by May. That's what I thought. Right. right. Me too. And I, you know, saw it affecting people, but then I did get a little nervous, not so much for, I mean, the world obviously was nerve-wracking, but like I started seeing a lot of prisons starting to get it and how fast it spread. And I'm like, that is spreading so stinking fast. And even back in March, when it all, you know, hit, I mean, within a week, there were people down in Texas that were incarcerated and they were dying or, you know, and the sad part about it was a lot of them, were there for a short sentence or close to getting like being able to be released and it's like that was a death sentence for them yeah and that's kind of what COVID has turned into unfortunately for some people is that you know since it's such an unknown thing that people I mean how do you even explain it like it's like nobody asked for this again like we just said they didn't do anything to make this worse for themselves but now they just have to deal with it you know which mm -hmm. isn't fair so like yeah. back in back in march when it did first hit um they did shut down visits they said no more volunteers and then no more visits is how it happened and it just like one day just decided no more and yeah. i think that's when it hit me too that how serious it was and and i mm -hmm. again i didn't expect it to be as long as it was but that was like the first clue to me of like okay yeah we really should be getting worried about it because I wasn't paying attention to it in other, like on a national scale, kind of in the way that you were. And I seriously mm -hmm. can't do for that because you actually reached out to the warden and emailed him yeah. and was like, what are we going to do? Yeah, back in, when was it? March or April, um, after they shut visits down. Because my thing was too, is even though like Jake and Ben are young they're healthy you know ben's 33 jake's what 20 he'll be 28 next 28 month. they work out they eat as healthy as they can in the prison environment but like i've told you before they don't get great health care like we do they don't you know if they're sick they go see the nurse and then that's pretty much it and make sure they're literally not dying otherwise you're sent back it's like, take some Tylenol, whatever. So it's not like they know that if they have any underlying conditions or not, regardless of their age. And so that to me was a big red flag. Like, okay, if Ben does get it, how do I know that he doesn't have something wrong with his heart or lungs or something like that because they don't get 
healthcare in there. And so I just had wrote the warden asking like, hey, what's protocol? What are your guidelines? Like, how are you guys going to keep this out as long as you can? I mean, I think pretty much everywhere it's going to be inevitable. But yeah, I mean, comment, he responded back with like the common stuff like, oh, we're doing temperature checks and um, telling the staff to stay home if they don't feel good. And then that was pretty much it besides, and then I was like, no, I went like details and he was pretty much like brushed me off and was like, I can't even tell you all the things that we are doing to prevent this, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, but then he got it. So it's like, didn't he say the list was so long? Like we're doing so much that I can't even name it all what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Okay, well, just give me a couple then. Like, just name off some of the big ones. That's all I'm asking for. Right. You know? And I know, and then, like, what, the guys got masks back in April? Mm -hmm. I think. And they had filters in them, but all of them, felt, you know, fell out. And then, I don't know if Jake complained to you about this, but he was like, we, get, we got issued, like, three masks to, like, rotate out. And he's like, Nobody watches them, and all the filters fall out. The places that they told them to wear masks at was really interesting to me because they said they had to wear them in the communal spaces, which, like, makes sense. They didn't have to wear them on the phone, I believe. Or maybe Jake just didn't. Maybe he was <laughs> But I don't know. Yeah. But, um, which is interesting because you don't know who sanitizes what. Everybody lives differently. Like, and yeah. there's not people that are designated to go around and clean the phones after everybody uses them. I think it's a courtesy thing. Like, I'm pretty sure that most people do, but that's not true probably among other units. That might not be right. true from, you know, somebody might forget. Somebody might think they did and they didn't. I don't know. So it's like, it's just, to me, it's inevitable. COVID within the prison system is inevitable to me. And unfortunately, that's the truth of it. And people disagree and say like, oh, this could have been prevented. Absolutely, it could have been prevented to the magnitude that it hit the prison, but I don't think that it's possible to have it be prevented, like, entirely. There was bound to be at least one case, but I never yeah. expected it at the, the scale that it went to. Right, because even now on the DOC website, it still says, I think, like, there's 100 positive, uh, 107 positive cases or something, but then when we um saw the union reps um status he said over 300 cases and then uh ben was telling me that they just tested you know a whole bunch of people on friday that came back positive took more people out by ambulances and so i'm guessing there are probably close to 500 positive which is half of the prison population. which is half of the prison which is mm -hmm. crazy um that's insane and they didn't, they weren't prepared for it, you know, and I can't, I, I don't blame them for not being prepared for it, but also I kind of do blame them because yeah. you always should prepare for worst case scenario. They should have thought, what if the whole prison gets it? What are we going to do? They shouldn't have thought, mm -hmm. like, well, maybe like 60 people, which is what I think maybe they were planning for, probably less, mm -hmm. but yeah. you really have to plan for worst case scenario. And I personally think I could have done a better job of running it than, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding but, no, but I you, do. you do you have to prepare for these kinds of things and it's like well, and I just think that they didn't like think of even the smallest questions like they had what 
40 COs or something or 17 COs like call out one night. And that's dramatic, like 17 to 40, but like I think 40 were already like called out, like 17 called out on one night or something. And it's like, did you guys prepare for that? Because that would have been one of my first, you know, if we're making the guidelines and the protocols. All right, so what happens if all our COs go down? Then what do we do? Or what happens if all of them get sick but five? You know, like how are we going to keep the workflow going? Exactly. You know, the way that it runs in prison, for most prisons, I believe, is that the day to day operations are done by the people that are incarcerated the cooking, the cleaning, like the general maintenance, orderly jobs, like the food services of, you know, the window, all that. It's all done by the people that are in the prison. And mm-hmm. when the CEOs are like, glorify babysitters most of the time yeah exactly they're just there to make sure that nobody steps out of line they're just like yeah (laughs) um with their batons or whatever they have i don't know but um, it's in the iowa prison system yeah and that's obviously the only thing we can speak on you know it's just like our experiences but that's just the way that it is there and you know everybody knows that so when it came to it it's like when you halt the day-to-day operations of the prison whose responsibility is that then when the people that are working and doing these jobs are locked away in their cells and they aren't allowed movement the rest of that is going to stop too and that just seems like basic basic overlooking that happened in my opinion yeah and it's not okay and it's like that was when when covid like when they first went on lockdown they went on lockdown on july 1st and that was our basic question of like how are these guys going to survive? Who's going to get them food? Who's going to get them water? And if that's our first questions, why was that not the people in charge? This, right, right. And that was not even like mapped out because Ben had sent me an email and was like, it's been like eight hours and nobody has brought us water yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, you can go. A lot of people go eight hours without water. But that was so far. Like, when is it coming? You know, and that was a lot of the guys' fears were, when is food coming? When is water coming? What happens next? When can we shower? You know, can I do laundry? Like, all these questions that they weren't getting communicated to on, you know. And a lot of times the COs didn't even know either. You know, like I told you, one day recently Ben went to go get like water and the CO was like oh no this is for the positive side now and Ben's like what I've been like getting water out of here all day he's like yeah I don't know I went home for like three hours because they're working like 18 20 24 hour shifts he's like I don't know I went home for like three hours and came back and they switched it he's like "Mm -hmm." but they're just you know confused I think as the guys are a lot of them are for sure. The communication just in general among like management to staff, management to incarcerated, incarcerated to staff, staff to staff, whoever. It's like, it's so muddled. And that's kind of the theme of COVID, I believe, like mm-hmm. as a whole in America is that there's so much information that's being like thrown out and changing. And we're learning so much that we set these guidelines. And then two minutes later, oh, never mind, something else, something new, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. But I also think it's important too for the people that don't know um, about 
like how Jake and Ben's unit works. It's important because yeah, that's, mm -hmm, among, that's among the other units in the prison, there are like four man cells, three man cells where there's a toilet and a water fountain within the cell itself. So they don't need to get out of the cell for their basic needs. Consider those um, cells on the different units, the kind of basic cells that people know of prisons. You know, they have the sink, they have the toilet, um, and they can be, yeah, up to a four-man cell, you know, two muck beds. Yeah, so kind of like the stereotypical what you would assume in prison. But yeah. on Jake and Ben's unit, they're two-man cells, so they don't have a toilet or water fountain within the cell. So they can never actually be locked inside of their cell because they don't have that access to use the bathroom or get water. So in other units, as much as they want to say, like, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, they had, the other units had access to water, I would say more than ours did. Because... Yeah. I get it, warm water, not good. Maybe not that clear, but like, if you've ever seen the Goonies, when she's like, it's wet, ain't it? Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, they started sorting out rec times and letting people, you know, out of their cell to, you know, at first it was 20 minute phone call, or 20 minutes in, in that 20 minutes, it was shower and phone call, one or the other, or try to squeeze both. And so I know that since their doors don't lock, a lot of times, Ben would just like come and sneak down and just be like, hey, I'm doing okay. Like, love you. Call you when I can. Don't know when. Bye. Yeah, because that was the only way that we could communicate was through emails. And the emails don't come through like instantaneously, which I, mm -hmm. again, I don't know if people know that or not. So yeah. I, sometimes I'm over explaining, but it's good to know that, you know, they send out an email. I might not get it until three hours later, there have been times when I don't get it until two days later, just because of like yeah. the hangups of everything. So that's- And then really so much weird. can happen in between that time, even if it's an hour, two hour difference. And so they started getting a little bit more flow and things figured out, I would say. Um, the food and the water came more routinely. They kind of started figuring out, you know, if you were positive, you got sent to a unit, which is actually solitary confinement. Um, so that was a big struggle for a lot of the guys uh, that maybe had never been to the hole or, you know, they feel like the, they call it the hole, um, is punishment. Because that's where you, if you get in a fight or get caught doing drugs or whatever the case may be, you get sent to a unit. A lot of people saw that as punishment because they did only get to take a little bit of their belongings, like their pillow and blanket. They didn't get to take their tablet for, you know, emails. In the whole, they only have like a cordless phone that gets passed around. And so a lot of times, you know, if one guy is done with the phone and the CO is not there to give it to the next, he could have it like all day or two days so mm -hmm. so then that's when like communication really started lacking I think yeah and then yeah. even in that 20 minutes the phones were always so you know even if they let four cells at, out at a time or whatever the case may be the phone was going to be crazy for sure because there's four phones on the unit and I mean two man 
yourself that's eight people and you only get 20 minutes the most amount of time that you can talk on the phone for one sitting is 20 minutes so if somebody uses all that if all four people do there's four people that aren't getting that time and their loved ones are getting worried and there's that so again just poor planning in regards to thinking about things like that in mm -hmm. my opinion from the doc and from the administration and again like it's such an unprecedented time. I understand that. But these are the people that we love and we care about so much and we want to make sure that they're good. And that's their job. Their job is to protect them and, you know, make sure that they have everything that they need. So, again, just poor planning. And it's very poor planning all around. Yeah. Um, and then, so, another side of things is that I guess a positive part of COVID in my opinion is one, the friendship that I created with Andrea and the podcast and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, cause that's kind of what, you know, really got us communicating and whatnot. And then just that among a bunch of other people too. Like personally, I grew closer with Jake's mom. I grew closer with his grandma because, you know, we were all trying to get the same information and we're all worried about the same person. Um, mm -hmm we met more people that have loved ones incarcerated at the same facility mm -hmm. um, and we're able to kind of like share information, what we know and what they know and kind of compile it all at the same time to get one collective idea going. We started an email campaign, you created it and it was like a mass thing where um, we had the body of the email all wrote out, sent it to like 200 different people between the DOC, Iowa legislatures, everything like that. And um, so I feel that like that really helps set a plan in motion to let them know that we were serious about like communication with our loved ones and making sure that they had their basic needs met. I mean, I think it was on the way, but we kind of pressed them more saying like, stop, you know, jerking everybody around. Like this is serious business. Yeah. So, I think that was a good call too. Like people, we got a little bit of backlash from wanting to act and put a little bit of pressure on it. I feel like, um, yeah. but honestly, like it did what it was supposed to do. That's what I think anyways, you know, I think it's like, what a time in the political climate that we're in, in the ways of the world that we're in to say, we expect better. And I think that that is really what our intentions were. It wasn't saying that you know, we deserve this, we deserve that. It was saying, we expect a little bit more and a little bit better. And if you don't give it to us, like, we're going to voice it and we're going to be loud. And I think that's just like, again, the political movement of the United States right now is understanding, like, just because something has been a certain way for a long time, doesn't mean that it needs to stay that way. And if you exactly. want change, you have to do it yourself. And I give you huge kudos to it too because you definitely helped me see that and you were like the loudest advocate in the best way and like <laughs> it seriously and it helps I'm like, 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 say obnoxious. Yeah. no I'm just kidding no, <laughs> no definitely not no you're so you're so intelligent and well-spoken and you know exactly what you want and dedicated to the cause and I think that that is a huge thing especially for somebody who is a voice for people who don't necessarily have the means to have their own voices heard. So I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of Thank us you. and everybody yeah. else that was involved in it. Um, and I think that we really enacted some real change and it was pretty quick after we sent it that, you know, they were like, all right, we got to do better. We're going to step it up. They sent out like a yeah. minute long video letting us know, like, this is our priorities. This is what it was. And actually mentioned the email campaign. <laughs> 
So I was like, mm, that was cool. But yeah. yeah. So I think that, I think that we're really on a good road and like just building the momentum of it too, um, is going to have long standing effects. And I'm really excited to see how they pan out for sure. I think so too. And I think too, that a lot of people think that just because these guys and men and women all over are incarcerated that they don't have rights and that's not necessarily true like they might have the most basic rights out there but they still have rights and a lot of times we don't know them and so that's why we kind of have to press and ask and you know if it goes to like talking to a lawyer or a judge or somebody that knows a little bit more of rights of people incarcerated, then that's the case, you know, because they don't, they shouldn't, and they aren't supposed to get treated like just animals in cages. Like animals in cages are now getting treated better than most people incarcerated, which I'm a freaking animal lover, so. Yeah, and that's the root cause of it all too, is like if you want to see recidivism rates go down if you want to see rehabilitation that everybody claims that they want within the united states justice system you have to look at them as people and not as animals in cages and that's the i think that's the overarching thing that we're trying to fight for is knowing that these are people these are human beings who are worthy of you know like love love and basic human rights like i don't know to go farther with it it's like what we're really fighting for and whether it's something like on the grander side of things as covid you know of like we want to make sure that they're alive and well or something like we just want to make sure that their mental health is good and they're getting to go outside and not being inside for three weeks long it's like all of that will contribute to the greater cause so keeping your focus on that is so important to me that's why I think yeah and that's another big thing for me I know like I said earlier like Ben had a bad anxiety attack and because up until what two days ago uh he had been locked in either his cell or on the unit since July 1st and not going outside no sunshine no fresh air nothing it's not like they can crack open a window or just decide to step outside like especially now they're on lockdown they have to have you know permission and so that's another thing that worries me about them being on lockdown and not being able to you know go outside when they want to like they used to is their mental health because i i think about just staying inside for 25 days in my own house like I don't want to do that not being able to like open a window or yeah and you, you get know. the meetings of the internet and tv and like you live with other people you know what I mean that can do you have all these things and like it's unbearable for us and a lot of people showed that during COVID too that they can't or they're unwilling to stay in one confined space imagine mm-hmm. that in a prison you know, yeah. why are we expecting more out of people that are incarcerated than people that are in, you know, the outside world, if you will. Right. You know? On the mental health aspect, they're, you know, swapping people around depending on if you're positive or negative or this and that. 
And so, you know, like we said earlier, Ben and Jake haven't been roommates for a week or so now because Jake tested positive, Ben's been negative. And so uh, Jake has a new cellmate, Ben has a new cellmate, and they don't really know these guys, which I mean, whatever, that's prison life, you just got to deal with it. But at the same time, like how uncomfortable that has to be if you're already a little bit nervous about the virus, a little bit nervous about your mental health, and now you're throwing in somebody who you don't know very well or at all, you know? So, and then there's stress of picking up every so often and moving. Like you literally have to pack up all your stuff. Like we talked about 13 years worth of stuff for Ben that he has to pick pack up every time and move to a different cell if necessary in the drop of a hat everything that he owns is within that cell you know that's like yeah. that would be like moving your house you know every however often somebody tells you that you have to you yeah, know or even just your room like I that yeah. would be impossible in a day yeah exactly and who knows what kind of friction there might be too like you were talking about between like this guy and that guy, you know, who knows if they're really even caring or paying attention. But the fact that there haven't been any riots, the fact that there hasn't been a lot of fights that I've heard about, or just general, like, upheaval. I mean, it, it could be a lot worse. They could really be acting out. And it's like, I feel that that is so commendable, especially from people who get a bad rep anyways, yeah. um, who are supposed to be, like, the low part of society, the scum of the earth, the bottom of the barrel, all that kind of stuff. What people and they're other keeping their composure. Yeah, and they're able to follow the rules and just take it as it comes and deal with it. Like I think mm -hmm. that that's, honestly, like I'm super proud of them. Me too. So I don't know about you, but Jake is like obviously because they don't have the internet in prison, they don't get as much media as we do. They don't have a lot of ways to hear about the virus and like understand what it's doing to the world unless they're watching the news, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a whole new thing too. Yeah. And then depending on like what news source you watch, you have one side that says like the virus isn't a big deal. Go about your life. And then the other side's like, no, it is like hunker down and build a bomb shelter. And you're just like, so I can only imagine what they're think like all the information that they're getting is like, it has to be mind blowing. Absolutely. And they don't know what to believe and they can't, you know, do the research on their own because there's no books that are talking about COVID that are in the library. There's, yes. you know, it's just what's coming to them. And from, you know, from people that they talk to that are, they're probably asking, like, what's the deal with this virus? You know, they have no way of receiving that information on their own. So that's a whole nother aspect of just being, like, kind of not in tune with everybody else and having to be uncertain, which is not yeah. a good feeling. Because I know Ben has me, like, Google a lot of things sometimes, and he was like, okay, can you get it twice? And I'm like, they say you can. I don't know for sure. Like, it's all... Like, nobody knows, and he's like, can people, like, not get it at all? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, these are, I'm sure, questions that have been asked, and nobody, like, knows. Mm -hmm. And think about that, too, about how you have so much time in prison 
to just think. And you just think and you think and you think and you assume worst case scenario, you assume best case scenario, you just make up all of these possible things that could be going on in your head because that's all you can do, you know? And so that is so scary. Like when someone's talking about the world's deadliest virus and the whole country has to mask up and whatever else, you know, they're hearing from these things and they just think like, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? You know, and just have to sit and fester and worry. Um, Out in the world, we're like, social distance, six feet apart, wear your mask, hand sanitizer. Well, they don't get hand sanitizer, at least not with alcohol. I think they did have it, but people were just stupid with it, of course. They can't social distance. They're in a, I don't even know how big their cells are, nine by 12 maybe or something like that that's generous and i think another thing too that we could talk about is how covid got into the prison from what we know you know um so jake works at ipi go ahead remember really quick that they shut visits down in march like as soon as it happened they shut it down Mm -hmm. um we got video visits and the only people that were able to bring and into the prison are staff and volunteers. And then they cut out volunteers too. So Jake works at IPI, which is a factory within the prison. And they have people that work for IPI, but don't work for the DOC. It seems kind of confusing, but that's the easiest way to explain it. They work for IPI, but they don't work for DOC. So certain procedures that the DOC has to follow, IPI does not have to follow as much. Um, or vice versa. So what we understand of how COVID-19 got into the prison is from somebody who works at IPI, who works very closely with those that are incarcerated, literally side by side. It was their boss who was positive and didn't tell anybody. She, she might have reported it to IPI. I'm not sure, but it wasn't reported to the DOC. So therefore, all of the people that she was in contact with and the people that were in contact with those people were exposed and they had no way of knowing that because she kind of dropped the ball on that. Mm -hmm. So once that happened and they brought up, I don't know if it was ever actually brought up about contact tracing. Um, it just, it spread like wildfire because that's what it does in a controlled community in that way. So somebody dropped the ball somewhere and that is what caused this whole fiasco that we're currently in. Yes, and that's why Floyd also got hit the hardest, the unit that the boys are on, is because a lot of the IPI workers are do live on Floyd because that's the honor unit. So they have those type of jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I that think- was kind of ground zero for- For sure. For sure, it was like, that was, that was where I think got locked down the hardest. That was where everybody like got tested right away, was on Floyd. Um, and then they were like, you know what? It's gone too far. We got to do everybody. And then everybody mm-hmm. got tested. Um, but there's only one unit, right? That is untouched. That yeah. does not have the virus. And I don't even think that they've really been able to come out of their cells, have they? Mm-hmm. Like at all. It's like the bottom unit, I want to say. Like it goes A unit and then it goes Boone and then then Cedar. Cedar. The Cedar is the unit that has not had any cases 
Um, it's like level one or level two. Um, yeah. They've been on strict lockdown too, because they're like, we do not want to deal with that. Anybody that's on Cedar, you're staying on Cedar, nothing, you know? And I understand that in regards to safety. So I think that that was a really smart move. Which that was I like one of the only things that seems logical. It would test the negative, the people that are negative. And while they were waiting for those test results to come back, they would move people around. They would expose them like among unit to unit. At one point, Jake called me and told me there was like a hundred people that were just mingling among the unit, like crossing yeah. contamination, whatever. I was like, what is going on? Like at that point, it's just blatant disregard and purposeful infection. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's common. You know, it, it really just comes down to being negligent too. And as far as I know too, is that they are still bringing in what the, what the guys call trips. And basically that means they're still bringing in people to the prison. So they go to the classification center, you know, they go to jail and they're like, okay, you gotta go to prison. So they go to the classification center. And then from there, they decide where you're gonna be um, assigned to as far as Iowa prisons go. And so, they're still bringing in people from the classification center. Apparently they have to be locked on a 14 day quarantine before getting sent out. And then I think even then they go to one of the like recovery units at um, the guys' facility. But it's just still like, you're still bringing, you're still bringing people in amidst a pandemic, but they're not letting people out. That is another thing. Yes, that's another thing I can even think about. Yes. Um, oh gosh, there's still so much to talk about. I thought we were like a lot of it. Um. So okay. Speaking of that, so when COVID first hit, you were seeing a lot of prisons across the country that were saying we're gonna let out inmates, you know, based on compassionate release, based on their parole dates, we're gonna bump them up, whatever. Iowa said we're gonna do the same thing, but the trick of that is that at that point. They had already stopped the trips that I was talking yeah, about. For one month from April to May, I think they stopped. They stopped the trips. And that was when they said, we're going to release people a little bit early. They worked with the Board of Parole to release people early. So I want to say they released what, like six? I think six months. 600. People who had six. Yeah. Oh, 600 people. Uh, I wanted to say 300, but it could be 600. I'm not sure. They said it was it's 10%. But you got to remember, too, that's 10% of all the prisons in Iowa. That's not just 10% of Fort Dodge, yeah. you know, like. And think about how much percent they are already over capacity. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it's at least 10%. Um, yeah. So they're letting out people that have, you know, that have fit into these guidelines that they have created. Awesome. I'm very happy for those people. I'm glad that this brought them that. But then they go we have to transfer in the rest of the people that we've halted for the past month. So then they just replaced the beds. Like they brought exactly. in almost the exact same amount of people that they let out just to make it look like they were doing better. Exactly. You know? Yes. And it's people who were going to get out within, I think it was only the next six months anyway. So they probably would have been out close by now anyway. But people who, you know, like Ben and Jake, who have been there for 10 to 13 years, who still have 
you know, four and seven years to go, they still have to stay there because they're under the mandatory minimum law. And it's like those, you're not really reducing because you're still bringing people in and you're not reducing anybody who's been there a long time either. So that's really frustrating. And then, you know, um, going back to the friends that we've met through this, a lot of them have husbands and sons and boyfriends and stuff who were really close to getting um, released and they were in the middle of their treatment plans, but then their treatment plans got canceled because of COVID. And so now they're saying, well, you didn't finish your treatment plan. So sorry about you. You can't go home. And so now that's a lot of a big battle for them to go talk to the treatment director and be like, it's not his fault that he didn't finish, you know, the treatment plan. It's your guys is in COVID. Have been getting those packets to complete their treatment. Um, I don't know exactly how all of that is working, but it is something that they're working on. However, again, planning these things should have been thought about you know it's like it should have let's decide it right now it should have been like well what if this what if that you know I think they need a designated what if person in my opinion yeah that might seem like a Debbie Downer or a negative Nancy that's like what about this like where's it's real it's real and it happens clearly um and it should have just had like one of those like flow charts that's like start here yeah prison yes or no yes okay and it just like branches down that is such a good idea see it's like most basic concepts they just don't yeah. think about them it drives me crazy um and okay so let's talk about decarceration then in terms of that my favorite let's do it yeah let's talk about it so <laughs> you said it best i think that capacity shouldn't be worst case scenario it shouldn't yes. be the norm yes capacity should be worst case scenario not the goal basically and you shouldn't be like 1200 beds like we need to fill them up and i don't want to speak for all of the people of iowa however no we will yeah i'm willing to bet (laughs) that most people in iowa would rather their funding their taxpayer dollars go to education go to agriculture go to mental health resources, things like that, instead of paying for people to stay in prison that do not need to be there. You know what I mean? And so, again, it goes with, like, the whole theme of our podcast of breaking the stigma and understanding who these people are on a people level rather than a crime level to understand that there is really unfair sentencing. There are people who have rehabilitated as much as that word is you know very vague um and they don't belong there anymore or they you know they are ready to go is basically what it is and there are people who do belong there i want to make that very clear that there are people that have just just got there who haven't figured it out yet there are people who have gone and come back that clearly haven't figured it out yet however let's look at people on a people level and see that there are people that could be functioning members of society that are helping, you know, helping the communities that they live in. And it's just doing everybody a disservice to keep them locked up. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, like, I think it was in a previous episode, you've said that any rehab rehabilitation that they have done has been on their own and finding themselves and learning and educating themselves 
prisons hardly ever provide true rehabilitation. Yeah, the programs like that, some of these guys are, you were in the middle of finishing, they might only have like uh, life skills, I think it is. And then if they're in there for drugs, like a drug rehab, but that's like all, you know, there's not any other rehabilitation as far as I know that go into it. And so it's all self-made rehab. And another thing that like years ago, I, you know, and what really hit me about like decarceration is probably 90% of these people incarcerated are going to get out and they're going to be your neighbor. They're going to live in your community. So I, you know, and I don't know, like that just really hit me when I heard that. I'm like, you're right. Like we need to like start helping these people. And this is even before me and Ben got back together is because I'm like, if I know that this guy across the street had whatever drug problem or anything like that, but I know he has successfully been rehab, whether it was himself or hopefully the prison system, if we could get there someday, then I'm going to feel more comfortable having him as a neighbor. But that's where the stigma plays into too, I think, is you don't, you know prisons are shit and you don't know who this guy across the street is. Like you might only know that he's been to prison and you have to do Google searches and you know, and it's just like, we need to invest like more time and energy into these people because they're gonna be our neighbors. That is so true. And like, what does a Google search tell you about somebody? Literally nothing. How can you get to know a person's character based on a mistake that they made? I sure hope that mistakes that I made when I was younger are not going to be held against me for the rest of my life because we've all made them. We've on whatever level it is, we've all made mistakes. Every single one of us has messed up. We have done something that we regret, something that we should not have done. They're people. You have to look at people on a people level, not a not of what we crime level yeah exactly so looking to the future of covid within the prison again we just talked about how it's like there's no foreseeable end to it right now and that's across america that's within the prison whatever we have no idea we have to take it day by day but like in regards to covid what do you think or what do you hope will come from this and we'd really love to see more focus on decarceration and you know of course I'm huge advocate for mandatory minimums like get rid of them reduce them whatever the case may be because like you were just saying it's an over sentencing thing and so I would love for people to start by people I mean like state legislatures the uh, bureau of prison like even on a state or on a federal level to start looking at how to decarcerate and how to make the prisons more tolerable to not, I guess, live in. I mean, live in, yes, but also just, I don't know. Like, I just wish they would take decarceration more seriously, especially amidst the pandemic, because like, as you said, we don't see this going anywhere. I mean, people on the outside world say, okay, wearing masks and staying six feet apart is a new normal. So what's the new normal look like for the prisons? 
ultimately, I think that the government officials are really going to start having to look at decarceration and changing laws. Like, you can't just keep having people sit there for a long time and then still keep bringing people in. Like, not releasing, but keep bringing people in. You're just going to screw yourself over in the end. Exactly. Like, a drastic change really needs to happen because we're talking about seeing a second wave of COVID. There are other diseases that will progress and mutate to God knows what. And it's something that apparently needs to be on the forefront of our brains. And if they had had these laws in place, if they had had, um, you know, things prepared, this would have been a lot easier to manage. Now we're in the middle of it. We have to deal with it the way that it is. But moving forward, it's like, what can we do better as a state? What can we do better as like the legislature? Can we let our legislators know we care about and want to see that's going to help the whole state? That's going to help everybody within the communities that we all live in. So I totally agree with you. I think that that should be the focus. And I'm hoping that like the DOC and the state of Iowa understands it and sees it for real. Mm -hmm. I hope so too. That is a place to end episode three. We did it. Follow us on um, everything. Instagram to accept this call. Twitter, accept this call. Uh, Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that. Um, Email us your stories. If you got, especially like right now, like let's get some COVID stories in. Like we want to hear what's going on in other prisons. Like I know that. I try to follow, I know San Quentin is getting hit hard, really, really bad. Also, really quick, let me plug another prison podcast and um, listen to, everybody listen to Ear Hustle if you have it. It started, a guy um, started recording with a volunteer in San Quentin Prison. I'm pretty sure he's out now. I'm not that far into it, but it's so good. Erlon uh, Wood, yeah, it's a good. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, it sees the other side of it. It's super cool. Write to us and let us know. Let us know what more you want to hear from us, like what perspectives you want to hear and like understand. Because to us, a lot of this is basic knowledge. We deal with it every day. We know what it is. But you guys, I'm sure, have lots of questions. We know we haven't answered some of them yet. We'll talk about Jake's story. We'll talk about Ben's story. We'll get there. Promise. Um, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody to listen to us. We're great. We know it. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll yeah, hit us up on everything. Yes. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>